you know, this is one of the most fundamental human needs and Genesis opens up answering a very fundamental human need. Every worldview has to have an account of how things came to be. Think of any worldview out there, even if it doesn't feel religious to you. The worldview, religious or not, has to have an account of how things came to be. A worldview answers questions like, any kid asks, little kids, first thing, why? Did you ever teach your child to say that one? Somehow they just came out saying it three times a day. Ten times. Ten times. I'm ramping it up. Ten times. And and the, and most of those ten are when you after you put them into bed and they're thirsty. And then they have questions. Like, well, my dog, she starts seeing me packing up my bag now. She knows. And she starts pulling and tugging to me. She wants to play with me right now. Why are you leaving? Why are you leaving? She's saying to me as she was too much trying to, I almost didn't come tonight. I was going to have Nadia teach the lesson instead. <laughs> Every worldview has to account. Every worldview answers the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Right? Questions like, who made God? Little kids will ask that question. You tell them there's a God, and they'll say, well, who made God? Right? So in our study, going through the word together, we're going to be able to answer those questions. Very fundamental questions, right? St. Augustine, the great father of the church back in the first century, he said this, I'm gonna, I don't have it up on the screen, but I'm gonna try to say it in a way that's not too confusing, simplified. He said, the New Testament is the Old Testament, is concealed in the Old Testament. And the old is in the new revealed. So when we're reading the Old Testament, the New Testament is hidden, but it's there. And the old, when we get to the New Testament, we're like, oh, we're making all those connections. How many of you have already reading through Genesis going, oh my gosh, this makes total sense now. You've done the Roman study and you're seeing echoes of Genesis and Romans. Do you know that every single, every single New Testament author refers to the book of Genesis? Every single one. Either exactly citing from Genesis by verse or just alluding to it. And we all know what they're talking about, right? It's a significant book. And so we wanna be excited about learning about it because it's important and the New Testament authors based their writing on it. You know, one, one year, years ago, when we were first starting women's ministries and just barely getting started on Bible study here and small group of women, I remember a, a woman telling me in all seriousness saying, oh, I don't read the Old Testament. I don't read the Old Testament, it's old. And I thought, oh, how's that? I mean, she goes, oh, I mean, you know what I mean. I mean, I read it when I was a kid. Because don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> we all have the little stories when we were a kid. We all have the, the little tales that we know. You can ask any person, even if they're not religious, and you say Adam and Eve, and there's a frame of reference about Adam and Eve, right? An apple and a snake are involved, and there's a tree, right? <clears throat> they'll, they'll go for it because little kids, we all have those, right? We have our storybook versions and even cartoon. How many of you remember the Hanna-Barbera's? All these greatest adventure stories. So we have a sensibility about, but we somehow gotten this idea like that lady did, that the Old Testament is old. And what do we do with old things? Well, we have them on garage sale and we get rid of them. We move them on out with a new thing, don't we? 
So we're not going to call the Old Testament the Old Testament because let's just reframe that. We're going to call it the foundational testament, the foundational testament, because from that, everything comes. So old things get tossed away or we unhitch from old things. We're not going to unhitch. We're going to keep it together. Right? We're going to have that powerful foundational testament. Or uh, we're going to call it the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew way that they reference their Bible, the Tanakh. Or even they'll say the Torah. Even though the Torah is the first five books, they'll just reference the Torah and everyone just knows they mean the whole, their Jewish Bible, the Tanakh or the Torah. We'll talk a lot more about that later. So as we get into Genesis, I want us to have that mindset of appreciation that this isn't an old Testament. This is a foundational Testament. Does that help make you a shift in your mind? I hope it does. I hope it gives you a better way of thinking of it. And uh, who knows, maybe it'll catch on and we'll see it written in print. It's a lot more letters and fonts, but we'll, we'll figure it out. I'm sure someone wiser than I. All right, so to our outline, let's get into Genesis and just do a, a little overview here. Number one, I bet you you can all answer this. Who wrote Genesis? Uh, Who's this? Or did he? All right, so, so up until about 200 years ago, uh, the general consensus was, yes, Moses wrote Genesis. And then about 200-ish or so years ago, um, some higher reasoning, critical thinking, and some discussion about the authorship of Moses and questions about, did he really write Genesis came up? And uh, that made me, you know, as I'm doing my studies, made me think, oh, well, who did they find out? Um, you want me to tell you right now? Everyone ready to write it down? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They don't know. <laughs> There's no consensus. <laughs> There's a lot of speculation, but I'll tell you who seemed to know. Every single New Testament <laughs> author calls it the book of Je Moses. Yeah. yeah, spit it out. <laughs> so there's a there's a good scholarship about it. And here here's the challenges that they come up with. And I think they're valid. And so we don't want to be too comical or too dismissive about it because they are valid. But let's just put our thinking caps on a bit. Um, how did Moses write about his own death? <laughs> he dies. Right? We know he dies. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he, he recorded Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, but he's dead. How did he, how did he write all that part of it? Also, um, how did he give names to cities that didn't even exist yet? So there's a few cities that you read in your studies through that would not have existed in time when Moses was alive and writing. Somebody else had to have filled in the blanks on that. And guess what? That's the answer. It's not nefarious. Oh, Moses didn't write every single word. We get very jot and tittle about that. All right? No, because he died. And because some of these towns weren't there yet. So somebody did. Did God inspire all of that? Yes, he did. So we're not questioning the inspiration of scripture. We're not questioning the errant and inerrancy. In other words, there's no errors. We're not questioning the inerrancy of God's holy words, but we're also not putting our brains on a shelf. Now, let me help you understand something right now. It's going to be really important, especially when you get into lesson three. You look silly to sciencey people when you start just saying, well, God said it. I believe it. Don't question it type of stuff. We, we have to be willing to engage and hear, how did he write it if he's dead? Well, for starters, that's kind of like a seventh grade question. Like, that's not that hard to really answer. 
The cities one is a little more challenging, but don't be afraid of it. And please, by goodness sake, don't when someone pushes, especially your secular friends or your uh, former Christians who abandoned their faith because we couldn't give them all the answers, um, go ahead and say, well, actually, and then you're going to learn the actually later on. We're going to talk about that. Feel free to just learn it on your own, but I am going to go into that later. But so my point really is a general principle here. When you come up against something that other people want to push back on, please do not retort with, well, the Bible just says it. They could care less that the Bible says it. They don't believe in the Bible. You're going to have to do better than that. That worked in Sunday school, and it won't work at my church's Sunday school because I won't let the kids get away with that either, and we don't teach them that. We teach them to think, turns out. And I want you to think as well. If my little kiddo is down the hall, can do it on Sunday morning, y'all can do it too. All right, so who wrote Genesis? We're going to be okay with Moses, and then we're going to say, obviously, he had some help. I'm going to go into a little bit more today about the help, but we're going to talk at length about this in um, the next message coming up. Uh, what, what language was it written? Anyone? Anyone? Good Hebrew. job. You're like, is this right? Is it Hebrew? <laughs> <laughs> so just to make Joe happy, if he ever does happen to watch this, who, what language is the New Testament? Uh, see, Joe, you're listening. Uh, and then the Old Testament is primarily written in Hebrew. We do have some Aramaic in there as well. Um, but be, be mindful that it is ancient Hebrew. It's not modern Hebrew. Um, although any good Jew worth their salt could... Um, kosher salt, of course, could uh, read, read it. Uh, it is ancient, and so we want to be mindful of that, just like Koine Greek is an ancient Greek, and it's actually Koine Greek is better than ancient Hebrew. They revived ancient Hebrew, and it's it's pretty close to the modern. All right, um, who was the original audience? If you were here last time, you, you learned a little bit about this. I talked about this at length. Uh, the original audience were ancient people, Ancient Near Eastern people in a pagan society surrounded by Babylonians and Sumerians and other cultures as well. But it was ancient people. Now, listen, it's really important. It would have been ancient. It's ancient to us. We know that. I mean, we don't wear togas anymore, right? So those that's our frame of reference. But it would have been ancient to the New Testament authors. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, all those guys, to them, the Old Testament people were ancient people, right? So we have to remember this is ancient, super duper ancient, not antique store ancient, not like little kids think of you as ancient. <laughs> okay. Heartful <laughs> was what it was. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, I get a good, I got, I got good facial. I know you react well. All right. Uh, about uh, when was it written? So this is another one that. A lot of interesting discussion about it um, from as uh, recent as 300 BC, which is pretty incredible to me. I'm like, uh, because this, these are the people who take Ezra as one of the authors. And so they push it way closer to the intertestamental period. I don't hold that view. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about me saying things like I don't hold that view later on, but um, I'm going to be presenting a wild range, wide range of views, especially when we get into lesson three and four. Um, but and then when I feel like it's necessary or I feel strongly, I'll go ahead and share uh, this one. I feel it doesn't it's not going to harm anybody to say, you know, if the year was off. So we're going to say around 1400 B.C. And what will be fun is if you go into your Bible and you find a timeline in your Bible. Some of your study Bibles will have little timelines. I know I told you not to read your commentaries. 
I, I know, I told you not to read your study Bible notes, but those, that's great information and that's, uh, that's very helpful. Uh, along the lines of being helpful and great information, I do recommend that you get your hands on either some digital or in print actual old school paper books and use those as resources. I have a few of my favorites here, not the kids Bible, I mean, you can look at these if you want, uh, but I'm gonna hold up a few and let you know about some of these that I really like. Um, for starters, this one's called Manners and Customs of Bible Lands. Uh, this is an older edition of it. There's a lot more updated ones and when they do uh, discoveries, they'll update things like this, but this is a great way to understand, especially in Genesis, why are they acting like that? This will help to some degree. Uh, the other one I don't have here because I have mine, on, it's digital, but it's the um, cultural, I mentioned this, I think I mentioned it last week, yeah. Uh, cultural Backgrounds Bible, the Cultural Backgrounds Bible. Uh, it comes in a variety of versions. I I would recommend either, I think the NIV is the most popular one of that. So I'd encourage you to dig into that. Cultural Backgrounds Bible. Uh, Howie's Bible Handbook and also a good Bible dictionary. These are fabulous. And you can get these online. Uh, there's free versions of this as well. Um, a great resource I use is called Olive Tree. It would be kind of like Kindle for Christians and pastors and teachers because you get all the ebook versions of everything. And so Hallie's, and they come on up to pictures of these later. Um, then um, good old school Bible Atlas. This you can tell by the binding. And if I open it up, you'll see the print and the color or lack thereof of the photos in there. <laughs> and so uh, this is a Bible atlas, fabulous. You'll probably have maps in the back of your Bible, but this will give you a lot more detail. And here's another super easy, fun tip. Google it. If you see if you see a name of a city, it's probably still alive today. A lot of those older cities are still there and the ancient trade routes are roads now. And so seriously, Google it. When we did Acts, we did, I did a lot of that with you guys in Acts. Um, and then the other one, it's going to be a, a good study Bible. I know, I said I don't use a study Bible. But uh, in the opening of your study Bible, if, if it's a good one, you're going to have an introduction to that book. It'll say author. It'll say dating. It'll say the themes. It'll give you some outlining. So uh, I just grabbed one of these. This is my apologetic study Bible. This is a really good one, by the way. Apologetic study Bible. I do recommend that you use some of those types of resources, especially to help you with overview. But remember my rule with using commentaries and study guides like that don't use one, use five. Use five. And here's a case in point when I went up to do my homework and work on, you know, who's the author of Genesis and make sure, you know, Moses, the Sunday school answer was still accurate. I just grabbed three different Bibles, opened up to their uh, introduction pages. How many opinions did I get on who the author of? Three opinions. <laughs> so they didn't. They weren't all like hard and fast married to them, but you're going to get different. Please don't just use your favorite old Bible. Use variety and get some good point of view and, and you'll learn a lot more when you do that. Uh, all right. And then also use resources. One of the one of the books I was looking at thinking about getting I went to their introduction and I always go to their bibliography, go to the bibliography. It's like when you go to Amazon, you go to the reviews first and look at the negative reviews first. Are they just like, the packaging wasn't that great? Like, okay. Right. It didn't look nice in my room. Got it. <laughs> Not help the review. Uh, so I go to the bibliographies. Who are they getting their information from? If there's very little in the bibliography, like, yeah, this is all your opinion. Uh, and then if it's all one 
author or publisher that I know it's also this thin slice. So I was looking at one book and it was literally, it was several authors, but every single author was from this one particular point of view. I know the point of view well. I don't need any more information about that right now. And I thought, well, I'm not going to use your resource because you're only, you are dogmatic on this one point. And here's every single person that you're citing. And I, I want more. And so here's a couple that I would recommend that might be out of your normal of who you like to read. Uh, the first one is Tremper Longman. Tremper Longman, T-R-E-M-P-E-R, Tremper, it's kind of an interesting first name, Longman, Tremper Longman. And then the next one is a guy named John Walton, John Walton. So both of them like literally wrote the book on Genesis and are, are excellent and might present a, a view you've never heard of uh, with Genesis and will make you think. Uh, they certainly have done that for me. And Tremper Longman is a alum like I am of Westmont, so there's that. <laughs> So um, enjoy uh, reading those and digging into that and use those as good resources for you. Um, so let's see, why was it written? How, how many of you remember the old science fiction movies or cartoons and things like that and alien lands on Earth and they, they see the humanoid or the dog or whatever the cartoon's making fun of? It, 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 you've seen different iterations of this. The alien says a very famous line, a lot of you probably already know it, they greet somebody and they say, Take me to your leader, right? <laughs> what have you seen those before, right? Take me to your leader, right? Genesis is that for us. Why, why was it written? To take us to our leader. To take us to our leader. Okay? In Genesis, infamously, we've had people say um, in, a, in shows where the bad guys are dueling it out, and the good guy comes, go meet your maker. And he sends them off through whatever. That's Genesis as well. It's meet your maker. Meet your maker. Take me to your leader. Why was it written? Meet your maker. Take me to your leader. But most of all, Genesis was written because God loves you. And he wants to meet you. He wants you to meet him. Genesis was written, not to you. But Genesis was written for you. Thank God it was, amen? <laughs> All right. So what accounts are recorded in Genesis? Underline the word accounts, for starters. Underline that. I'm going to talk to you about that word. It's really important. You'll notice as I teach and as I write, I try, like I try to avoid saying Old Testament. I say foundational testament as much as I can, remember to. But when I'm talking about the Bible and what we're reading there, I try to make sure I say account the account of this, the account of that. Instead of saying, read the story of Noah, read the story of Abraham. Why? Because stories are fiction. Mm -hmm. I go, I read a nice story. Stories wrap up. Stories end nicely. How many of you have ever been dissatisfied by a movie or a book you read with the ending? Like, I could have just saved myself a lot of time. Just go to the ending. Like, no, I don't like that ending at all. Stories wrap up. Listen, ladies, you are hardwired for that. You want it to resolve. If you've ever sung in a choir and they're doing some kind of a discordant, cool Wagner or something, and it doesn't resolve nicely at the end, like, I'm just going to follow the leader. I hate this song. I'm doing it anyway. Why? Because we, we want even our music to resolve. Problem is, and you found this out, I believe, as you read through Genesis, 
not every story resolved in the end. So frustrating. By a long shot. So many questions. Dinah, Shechem, and Foreskins. And <laughs> wow, I just should have done with parental guidance or questions. The stories resolve and they tie up and they satisfy. An account isn't fiction. An account is nonfiction. An account is true. You, you go to the, you don't tell a, a story when you are a, a witness in a crime. You give your account of that. Genesis is accounts. It's not stories, but we've been very programmed by our books and, and lovely for children, but we're, we're trying to do better. And maybe you've heard me say that with our kids here in Sunday school. We, we talked to them about the account of Genesis. So I want them to know it's all real. Even though it's challenging and difficult and frustrated, horrifying, <laughs> we want them to know it's real. Stories resolve. And we're accustomed to, uh, in our culture, a, a timeline like a sitcom. We get 22 minutes, <laughs> right? And everything just wraps up. We uh, maybe watch an hour long, or maybe if we got some time on our hands, we just binge an entire series and they just loop and loop and go and go and go and go, right? But they resolve and there's some satisfaction in that. We want that, we long for that. And then we get to Genesis and we find ourselves dissatisfied because it doesn't really wrap up like that, right? It's hard. So what accounts are recorded in Genesis? Again, this is an important word. Because Genesis is outlined literally by that word. When you turn in your uh, first day of actually digging and not the overview day, your day, it'll be day three for you. Would you turn to page 43? 40, page 43. Right there off, off the top, the very first question I'm going to ask you, what are you going to get to do? Look at that. You see it on the right there? Funny letters? You're going to write Hebrew. You're going to learn Hebrew. We're going to loop it and practice it over and over and over and over again. You're going to learn Hebrew by the end of this study. You're going to be more bilingual. You're going to read and recognize Hebrew. It'll be pretty exciting. I want to teach you a bonus word tonight. It's not even in that first opening. Are right, you ready? You're going to write this down. Here we go. To write it, I asked you to underline account right above that or below it, nearby that. I want you to write the Hebrew word. Just sound it out. We're going to transliterate it. I'm not going to show you the letters yet. Uh, it's the word toledot. T-O-L-E-D-O-T, -O -O or sound it out better for yourself. It doesn't matter. We'll learn the Hebrew later. But the word is pronounced toledot. When you say that, I know you want to. Toledot. Good job. <laughs> You're speaking Hebrew. Uh, guess what word you just said? Oh, there you go. You said account. Good job. The toledot. The entire book of Genesis is based on toledots. The toledots. Okay. So maybe you even noticed it as you were doing your study. The account of so-and-so. The account of so-and-so. The account of so-and-so. It repeated itself 12 times throughout Genesis. And did you, anyone happen to notice that? So I'm going to train you to start noticing rep repetition. You're going to learn to notice that because that makes a big difference in Genesis. Anything that's repeated is noteworthy. All right. So the toledot, uh, there's 11, uh, 12, two are combined, so we typically say 11, um, that they are called the toledots or the accounts of 11 of the toledots out of the 12 are the toledots and then a person's name goes in there. There is one toledot, one toledot that you're going to come up against and there's no person named. 
I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're going to find out. <laughs> Have fun with that. Write that down. Make sure you give yourself a note to go look for the toledote. Ooh, I made it rhyme. All right. So what accounts are recorded in Genesis? The toledotes, the, not the stories, the toledote of this person and their line, their family line, their descendants, basically, and everything that happens with that. What accounts are in Genesis? Again, the account, I'm trying to juxtapose this word account with what it is and what it isn't. Uh, it's not story. I've already told you that. But listen, this is super important. It's not science. We, and, and we are in a science world. We, we have massive amounts of tech we can just hold in our hand. You know that. And so we read Genesis. And one of the reasons why we wrestle with it is because it doesn't feel scientific. It doesn't make sense. Because we're rethinking differently. Why? Because we're in the 21st century, American women from, you know, this time in this era. We need to go back and remember the original audience that this was not written to you. It was written for you, not to you. And those people in that era were not thinking scientifically at all, at all, at all. They were asking bigger global rounder type questions. We ask linear, we go like this in a very Greek mindset. We talked about this last time, this to this, to this, to this, right? And that's not how the original author wrote. So you're pushing Moses into your little brain cookie cutter. Don't, don't do that. Moses would not like that. <laughs> so uh, it's an account. It's not story. And it's also not what? Science. So when you come up against things that are, oh, they're challenging you. Maybe you're making it about science, or maybe you've tried to make it a story. And so ask yourself those questions as you continue to do your study. So uh, uh, as you read Genesis, as you study Genesis, I want us to think about what we should be careful uh, not to do and what we should for sure uh, do. Uh, and I alluded to this earlier, but we don't do Bible study. We don't do Bible study. What do we do? All the D words that you wrote discover. down someplace else. We dwell. What do we do? Discover. Discover and delight. delight. All right. We dig. We discover. We discern. Okay. So we don't do Bible study. We also don't come in with our backpack of all of our tools of the trade in the sense of the expectations we have for science, the expectations we have for it order and how we think things should be. We be careful not to bring that in. We do as the best as we can to know the, what yellow book here, manners and customs of Bible lands, not America land, right? So we work on, we work on that. So there, what should we do? Again, I'm gonna say it again, all the Ds. We should dwell, which means discover, dig, discern, and? Delight. Delight, all right. So as you're reading through Genesis, one of the ways that you can dwell, as I said originally, is to look for patterns. Look for patterns. Look for repeats. Look for things. And you're going to find that I've written this Bible study in a very rhythmic, pattern way. So even your routine of getting into Bible study is training your mind to think, to move in a pattern. And I want you to make the connection with me being intentional, writing it this way, and the what you're going to read again in Genesis 1. Make the connection 
between how I'm structuring and how I'm writing to what happens in Genesis 1. There is a reason, there's a rationale for all of that. Um, as you're going through, uh, dwelling, discovering, digging, and having fun and delighting, uh, one of the ways to do that it, with the Create and Share, and I alluded to this if you watch the videos uh, from the last lesson, we're gonna continue to do this, I'll just tell you all right now, uh, we're gonna make a menu through Genesis. So uh, I'll, I want to encourage you to watch the videos. You're going to get this slice of a pie by doing the study. You're going to get this slice by coming to the, you know, this time here, discussion and teaching. And you're going to get another slice if you, if you join me on the podcast or on the YouTube videos. It's, a, it's another realm. You don't have to. You can obviously complete your Bible study without any of that. But uh, there's more I'm going to be share, sharing with you on the online. And I want you to, I'd love it if you engage with me there. But we're going to make a menu. So as I mentioned in the videos, uh, as you go through the study, reading through Genesis, get a piece of paper, write it out, my menu from Genesis, start listing all the foods that are brought up in Genesis. You're going to have so much fun with that. And I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of food. <laughs> there's a lot of food mentioned. Here's just a few of the foods that are mentioned in Genesis. Almonds, pistachio nuts, lentil, lentil stew, uh, bread, unleavened bread, pigeon, <laughs> goat, venison, raw honey. That's just a little bit. Okay. So you go through and as we're reading through Genesis, let's create a, a menu. You know, God was multi-sensory. I mean, let me ask you to think about something. Um, we, we want so much more than what we have in this book, don't we? Mm -hmm. Don't you have questions like you want to fill in the blank? Like, what in the world? Come on, you stop the story there. What happened? Right? But listen, is God's word perfect? Did God give you exactly what you needed? Maybe he didn't give you what you want. But he did give you what you don't want. <laughs> he gave you what you need. Would it be possible for God to give you every jot and tittle? We're very much jot and tittle people. We read that. Somebody said that. Number jot and tittle is going to go away, right? And we want more. But listen, ladies, listen. Did God give you everything that you needed, all the words that he recorded for you? He did. Every single word. That means those foods that got mentioned are there for a reason. God didn't have to give you the information on food. Hmm. Didn't have to give it to you. Almonds are there. What you doing, God? What's up? What are you talking about almonds for? Pistachios. Is there a reason for that? Look it up. Pistachios. What do they mean? And when you get to those genealogies with all those names that you can hardly pronounce, if you join me on the videos, you saw me struggling through all those names. It was fun. Every single name. He did not have to give those to you, but he did. Why? Every name. All the words that he could have chosen to put in that Bible included fruit and nuts and meats and names of people that are very challenging and awkward to pronounce. Read them. Love them. Delight in them. Don't skip them. And anytime you feel tempted to do so, say, all right, Laura, I'm sorry. Just taking your word for granted. You gave me these exact number of words. What you got? Okay, let's do this. <laughs> Just go and do and read. Don't do Remember, I said dwell. Anyway. All right. <laughs> All right. So as we go through uh, Genesis, what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing you can learn in this study? Meet God. Meet God. You are so busy in your life. You have so many people that you love and care for. 
You have so much going on at work. You have so much going on in your own brain. You got to do this going in tandem with what I'm talking about right now. Pause and meet God in your study. What's the most important thing? Meet God. Ask Him. Reveal yourself to me. Pray. Beg Him if you need to. When you feel stuck in your genealogy, Show me what you need me to know. Meet God. Meet the Holy Spirit. He's there. He's mentioned in the opening of Genesis. Meet Jesus. Do you know that Jesus is in Genesis? He's in Genesis. He's there plain as day, and he's there hidden. And we're going to find him. We're going to make the connections. And you're going to have so many fun aha moments as you do this study. You're going to want to do Genesis all over again. We're going to wrap it up in April. You're going to say, let's just do it again. I know it already. You're going to be that excited as we, as we get there. All right. As you meet God, I want you to know something. God has revealed himself in at least 15 different personal names throughout Genesis. 15. 15 different personal names. We're going to learn them all. You're going to learn to write them in Hebrew, pronounce them understand, and you'll meet God in Genesis. Are you excited? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you just finished reading all of Genesis, 50 chapters. Amazing, amazing accomplishment. Most people don't read one full chapter in their entire life of the Bible. And you've read 50, and you took notes on 50, and you dwelt in God's word. And God's going to bless you. His word's not going to return empty. It's going to be full is going to come back to you. Even that long, challenging first lesson was challenging, huh? You sit there and do that. It was hard for me also. You're going to have more fun as we get into this final, um, this opening lesson. I mean, this opening lesson. All right. So our schedule is set so that we can have time for groups, time for some teaching, and time for Q&R. We're going to call it Q&R instead of Q&A because uh, I don't have all the answers, but I do have some responses. So Q and R. <laughs> or maybe QTR, questions, and then my thoughts and responses. We won't get too complicated on that. And so Bible study ends at 8.15-ish. I try to wrap up by 8, um, which, yay, almost, we almost got it there. And uh, so we have time. I would love to hear any questions that you have. And um, maybe a question that you have, somebody else has. Also, I want you to be thinking along these lines as you're doing your study. Like, I know the answer to that. I'm going to look it up. I wonder what Jennifer thinks. I wonder what my Bible study group thinks. And let's engage with each other and ask each other those questions. So you can save them. Maybe keep a little side note going as you go through. So that way, when you come back, I'm going to say the same thing at the end of the next lesson. Who's got questions? We'll play stump the teacher. You put me on the stump. All right. Uh, so does anybody have any? I would love to hear any questions that you might have. Mine is one of the questions that I asked in, in our group is um why didn't adam just say no <laughs> yeah if nancy reagan would have been there right she would have told him just say no <laughs> some of you don't remember that campaign <laughs> if you have children at school right every week if you remember it yeah why didn't adam just say no good question so yeah. my questions are so much deeper than that. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure. Let's have your super, super so deep question. when Abraham and they had to do all the circumcision, was that the first time they did circumcision? And who did that? 
Like, <laughs> ooh, ooh, I, I'll do that. Yeah, get your willy out. Let's do it. Oh. <laughs> All right. I just want to lay that out there for y'all. All right. So here we go. I'm going to give you some uh, a thoughts, and I want you to dig oh. in. This is a fabulous question. Actually, is a really a good question, as is the the Adam question. And um, so, yes, to answer your question, uh, yeah, actually, that was a custom. Uh, if you if you go back into matters and custom, I don't know that this book addresses that. But uh, circumcision wasn't invented, was not invented by Hebrews or Israelites. You remember that Abraham wasn't an Israelite. <laughs> Abraham wasn't an Israelite. Because Israel came way later. And we, we call him that. We even call him a Hebrew. But he, he wasn't that either. He, he predates all that. It goes way back. So in that time frame, in those cultures, circumcision was a thing. So really, the question should be back further than what you just asked. Why did God think, think it that way? <laughs> if you're just going to cut it off all the time, <laughs> just don't make it like that. So we are going to dig into that. Well, what an interesting symbol. <laughs> but there's a whole show me yours kind of perspective in that. <laughs> Y'all are going to be so tired of the way my brain No, I like it. Bring it. Bring it, bring it. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's part, it, part of culture. It's historically part of that culture, way beyond being Abraham's culture. It was Do you part know of why it. they did it and why it was culture? What was the custom involved in it before it became significant for, to you know, to be identified? Right. As an identity. Mm -hmm. Two things on that. And, and um it might feel self-evident, but cleanliness is, is part of it. And the next one is um, ritual cutting is a pagan thing. Okay. Ritual cutting is a thing. Scarring yourself is a thing. Marking yourself is a thing. Um, it does go back to pagan uh, worship of, of gods. It actually ties into the creation story. So have fun. I'm not going to tell you any more than that, but it does tie in. And I'm going to really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address a lot of this pagan stuff. Um, in my uh, message number three. Um, so get ready, but please do write the questions and also engage on the on the videos, uh, YouTube or on the podcast because there's a place for you to leave a comment there. And uh, so I'm gonna actually be doing something else a little bit later on where you'll have a chance to um, voice in questions and things like that. And that'll give me a little more ways to update, but that was just off the top of my head on that one. Thanks for not stomping me on that one. But I don't mind getting stumped. I'll go home and do some homework on it. And again, like I said earlier, my job isn't to, you know, be the answer dispenser. Google can pretty much do all that. I just find it fun. I like to engage my mind in that way. I hope you like it too. Oh, yeah. All right. So there you go. There's the, there's the. I liked it enough to write the question. I like it. Aren't you glad I didn't have you do it in your crate and share? <laughs> Stick figures. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> single girl over here. Sorry about that. <laughs> Talk to your mom. She'll be helping you get the cover later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any other questions? I know you got them. Don't be afraid to ask. Come on, stump the teacher. You got five minutes. <laughs> no? Why did we even have to know anything about Latin and his daughters? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I understand that that's how the Moabites right. came to be right. and the Ammonites came to be and right. Ruth was from Moab mm -hmm. and Ruth is in the lineage, but really <laughs> <laughs> Could we have been spared? We could have been spared the TMI of 
how they came right. to be. Like, like you know, what right. was the deal with that? That's like, a great question. I, I want you to be, I want you to ask that question whenever you do come up with something that's horrific or just why. Uh, why do I have to know that, number one? So going back to what I said earlier on um, story and not calling it story, uh, not calling it science, calling it accounts for, for important reasons. Uh, I want us to also go back to how, you know, we're hardwired for things. And we are actually hardwired for moral of the story. The moral of the story is we want that. Here's, here's why. Here's why you want the moral of the story. All of you want the, and therefore, here's what happened. Here's how it makes sense. Why? Because it's nihilistic. It's meaningless if you just exist and there is no moral of the story. You're just phoning it in and you're going to die and turn into dirt someday. Worms, right? We are hardwired to want the moral of the story. So when you read an account like Job and his daughters, Lot and his daughters. Well, Job and his daughters too, I suppose, in another another story. But Lot and his daughters, you're like, how in the world? How? Because why? Because, well, I'm not going to sleep with my dad. Done and done. Like, there's the moral of the story. Don't sleep with your dad. Don't get him drunk. And you and your sister. No. No, no one in their right mind is going, okay, whew, I'll cross that off. I was going to do that today, but now I won't because I read that story. And I know the Bible teaches me not to do it. Moral of the story. Done. How many of you want to put a bet right now if Lot and his daughter's story is in this book? <laughs> in a cute week, let me show you cute little illustrations. You want what we got? You want a little illustration of that? No. Why is it in the Bible then? Because it's not there's no moral of the story here. In that sense that you want it to be. And you're hardwired to ask, what's the moral of this story? And that's a good thing. But you need to push a little bit past that. And sometimes it's not about finding the moral of the story. You have to, what did I say? What is the most important thing I can do? What's the most important thing I can do in Genesis? Meet God. It's not the moral of the story. Listen, lady, I want to tell you one more thing, an extra bonus before you go. And so this is going to poke a couple of you. And I don't mean it to. I kind of do. But it's not personal. It's not personal because I, I wasn't like stalking anyone on Instagram. I didn't look you up. I didn't. I've been not on Instagram for like, for like three weeks because of my schedule. Anyway, so don't be all like, oh, I just did the other day. She knew. Nope. Didn't know. Here we go. Here we go. The B-I-B-L-E. Listen, this book is not basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E, as many of you have been taught in Sunday school and in church. It is not basic instructions before leaving earth. Are there basic instructions in here for your life? 100% yes. Are you going to learn good morals by reading this book? Absolutely, you're going to learn good morals. Like, don't use flipping probably when you're doing my <laughs> recording as a church lady. <laughs> this is not basic instruction. That is not the intent of this book. The intent of this book is not to give you the moral of the story, how to be a good person, right? You could read Confucius and get some good morals. You could read Aesop's fables. You can listen to fill in the blank, any preacher on TV and, and hear, oh, good life and good living. 
That is not what this book was designed to do. Basic instructions for leaving Earth is not what this book was designed to do. What's this book designed to do? You already know the answer. Meet God. So when you come to a story and you don't get it and you're trying to find the moral, it's because you're hardwired for it. And you were taught that this Bible is basic instructions for leaving Earth. I was. Until you start realizing, I'm not going to sleep with my dad. So how does that apply to me? That's why I told you last time, we never, you'll never hear me ask the question, what does this verse mean to me? Who cares? Who cares what this verse means to you? That got us in a whole heap of trouble in the churches where woke churches are, are about, because we have to have everything about me. What does this verse mean to me? Who cares what it means to you? What did it mean to God? You need to meet God. Amen? All right. So fabulous question because it speaks to my desire i want the moral of the story and you're gonna find it but you gotta meet god you know why you wrote the story he's gonna teach you all that. right so get into it don't just do bible study when you do bible study you are looking for the moral of the story amen Woo. how was that <laughs> All right, eight fifteen on the on the nose. You are welcome to stay. I love I love asking or being asked good questions, and you guys are awesome. Um, have a great couple of weeks. I'll see some of you on Sunday. Uh, hopefully, I'll see some of you online as we do uh, the online study together. I'd love to engage with you on that. You guys are awesome. Love it, and I love uh, learning and, and sharing all this time.